I'm not a long speaker. There is virtue in that. There is virtue in that. So I don't know if this is so much a sermon as a fervent prayer for Samuel and for the guys that will go into ministry. I could preach 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4. Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But when I was a young seminarian, about three years ago, <laughs> as I was sitting in chapel, I heard a Hebrew professor. See, I was New Testament. My Hebrew rusted. Sam's already correcting me on my Hebrew. It's okay. <laughs> Um, I heard something that riveted me. I literally felt a chill when that guy preached a sermon in the Old Testament. So I don't go to the New Testament even though I'm more Greek. I go to the Old Testament. It involves the word yom. Can you say that with me? Yom. Now, that is a Y-O-M, but that also is the Hebrew word for day. I exhausted all my Hebrew with that one word. <laughs> but for guys that go into ministry and for God's people, there is one word that rivets me. And I give this as a prayer to the men that will serve the Lord and help his people. Yom. Why? O-N. But there is a hidden meaning in a good sense for that. Yom has a hidden meaning that I call attention to all the preachers that this is what they strive for. May this word live it. We have some promises in the Old Testament that God speaks to his people. The Lord said in 1 Samuel 2.30, Those who honor me, I will honor. Those who honor me, I will honor. I advise the precious preachers who never please men. Honor God. No matter what that cost may be. Second Chronicles said, For the eyes of the Lord are moving back and forth. Right now. Throughout the earth. That he may strongly support those whose heart is full of it. God's watching. Little do preacher boys know that their goal is not to win the crowd. On the go. Preach his word. Be faithful. There is a tremendous cost for that. Especially now. Uh, Samuel lives in a time it seems to have some high strangeness. Or is it just me? 
in Phoenix, been there for two years, lived in California all my life, but when I got there, I've been seeing churches massively departing from the purity of God's word. We've had people come into our little church because their pulpits no longer proclaim the word of God. They proclaim something of high strangeness. They don't stick to scripture. Scripture is the last thing on their mind. Some churches may be called liberal, others may be called woke. But I'll tell you one thing, it's getting harder and harder to find a faithful church with a faithful pastor. That's why I commend Sam to you. Paul warned about preaching a strange gospel. Paul was no diplomat. Neither am I. He said this, if I or an angel from heaven preach to you another gospel that is contrary to what you know is the true gospel, here is what Paul said. This will get you in trouble. He didn't say, let them be anathema. He said, let that person be damned if they get into the pulpit and not be faithful. That's wrong. Do preacher boys realize the sacred trust is God's eyes go back and forth. And they look for that person that will honor him. I've recently learned that the FBI was going into churches filming the license plates in the United States of America for churches that would hold to more traditional values in our country. I one time asked a precious Chinese student from China who said the secret police would come into his Church. And I said, how would you know they were secret police? He said, they would fall asleep during the sermon. They didn't fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Today, most seminaries where you would send your preachers, please do not trust any seminaries. It's over. Start your own training center. Today, most seminaries have to teach their students how to find Jesus. They can't find Jesus they search for him. It's called the search for the historical Jesus, which is a complete canard. That doesn't mean that Jesus existed in history. It means they don't accept the Jesus of the Bible, so they'll try to find another Jesus that makes sense to them that they can mark. They found over 400 Jesuses in this search for the historical Jesus. And I don't know of any seminary that isn't training their New Testament men such a horrible thing to destroy the faith of young men. They no longer trust the Gospels. They produce preachers that want large crowds. And so those preachers are afraid to preach the purity of God's Word because when you preach what the Word says, some people will respond, but some people will not like it. God left a promise in the Old Testament Elijah was feeling terrible. He had run. The Lord said to him, Elijah, I deserve unto myself 7,000 who will not bow down immediately. That's what I want to see in men who have the pulpit. 
give you a background, turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 18, starting with verse 1. Let me give you a background. This story riveted me. I was at Talbot years ago. Three years ago. I'm 29. <laughs> and I've stayed that way. It riveted me. In 2 Chronicles 18, it's 850 B.C., long before the Greeks rose. The kingdom of Israel has split the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. In 850, the northern kingdom was completely and thoroughly pagan. Worse than the nations that they had replaced. The southern kingdom was still being somewhat faithful. And it had a king named Jehoshaphat. The northern kingdom of Ahab, horrific. The northern kingdom worshipped Baal, sacrificing children. Ahab, the king of the north, had married Jezebel. By the way, that lady ruined. Have you ever run across anybody today with the name Jezebel? I saw one at Sam's one time. I walked into Sam's, and on the name tag was Jezebel. But no, that lady ruined it. Jezebel was a Phoenician princess. She hated God's prophets, God's men that would stand for she hated them. She slaughtered every one of them. And Ahab, how weak he was, let her do it. In the northern kingdom, there was no one left. You say, well, wasn't that the time of Elijah? Well, we don't know where Elijah was at this time of this chapter. Elijah often would disappear for a while, it says in 1 Kings 18. God would call him to something. They couldn't find him. So the northern kingdom had a very wicked, spiritually depraved circumstance, much like modern Western culture. They had forsaken the Lord. Pagan idolatry. He had married Jezebel, who had a daughter named Ataliah, whom Jehoshaphat, the good king of the south, had married Ataliah to his son, Jehoram. They had intermingled. And Jezebel and Ataliah made sure that there were no more men of God left in the northern kingdom. Any prophets of God that were left? We're in hiding or dead. The story starts with Jehoshaphat of the southern kingdom. He was a faithful king of Judah, but this was one of the most naive kings. He was dense. He would send people around to teach them about the Lord in the southern kingdom. And I'm going to show you, he was dense. He didn't quite get it. But God honored him because he honored God. 
We see in verse 1 of chapter 18 that Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor. By the way, sometimes people teach that to be rich is God's blessing. Jesus taught to be rich is a test of God because riches will turn your heart away. You cannot serve God in them. He is under a test. He is comfortable. He has what he needs as king. That's the first problem. He is not dependent upon God as much as he is upon his wealth and status. It says in verse 1 that he allied himself by marriage with Ahab. That's the next mistake. Can you imagine? Jehoshaphat, are you that dense? Ahab's wife Jezebel destroyed all the men of God in the northern kingdom. And yet, for political reasons, he allied himself with wrong people, especially Ahab and Jezebel. As a matter of fact, this daughter that his son would marry would eventually wipe out all of the southern heirs of David except one little boy that God had to preserve. David's line and the promise that God made to David. As we open in this, Jehoshaphat goes up to visit Ahab at Samaria. And in verse 2, they have this great party. Most likely they were softening Jehoshaphat with good food and wine so that he would be, look at verse 2, induced to associate with the wicked north to go to battle. Verse 3 here is what Ahab, or Jehoshaphat said to Ahab. Ahab said, will you go with me? I'm the type of idiot that would have said, no way, you have killed all God's prophets. You have done so many bad things, but here is what Jehoshaphat said. I am as you are, and my people as your people, and we will be with you in battle. That is tragic when you allow yourself like that. You have no hesitation. Today, guys, you have to be very careful whom you allow yourself with. And you chose to associate with. I'm sorry. But there needs to be discernment. Well, Jehoshaphat in verse 4 has one redeeming value. First, let's ask the Lord. Let's ask Yahweh, Jehovah. What's the Lord say? I find it interesting. Ahab could have cared less. That's what Jezebel wanted him to do. So the king of Israel, Ahab, assembled 400 prophets, but his wife had destroyed all God's prophets. These were prophets in name only. These were people who were seeker-sensitive prophets. They would tell the king whatever he wanted to hear. Gentlemen in ministry, you can't be seeker-sensitive. You must be God-sensitive. There's this tragic statement in John chapter 12. At the end of Jesus' ministry... Before his crucifixion, John gives this stunning statement. 
that there were many who secretly believed in Jesus, but they loved the approval of men more than the approval of God. That's stunningly bad. But I've seen that so much now in the pulpit, I am shocked because we judge people by the size of the congregation. Don't we judge preachers by the size of the congregation? By the kind of cars, the larger the church, the larger the, the parking lot. No, gentlemen, you are judged by one thing. God looks to and fro, and he wants to find the man that takes courage. So they assembled these 400 false prophets. Where were God's real men? We learned from 1 Kings 18, all of them were dead or in a cave. 100 left, 50 in each cave, hiding. And if they dare speak out, they would be dead. Then Jehoshaphat says in verse 6, he can tell that these are not God's men. They look different, they acted different. You can tell. Use your discernment when someone's in the pulpit. You can tell. The Spirit can give you discernment, according to 1 John. You'll know God's men. Is there not yet a prophet of the Lord? This is what riveted me when I heard that evil professor years ago. Sent a chill down my spine and became my prayer as I entered into training. Look at verse 7. May, this is my prayer for sin. Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, there is Yet one man. Yo! Now that's English. The Hebrew won't work for that, but I want those guys to highlight that in yellow, put it in red, and they make that their prayer. No matter which direction our country and this world goes, that they commit, that they say to the Lord when He looks to and fro to find that person, Lord! I want to be yet one man. Even though there is great danger. No higher honor to you pay the Lord than to be yet one man. When that Hebrew professor said that, it just ripped me. I never forgot it. And then I love what Ahab says. I hate him! Ahab said, I hate him. Never tells me what I want to hear. Gentlemen, your goal 
God's word says we need. So when Samuel preaches a sermon that does not maybe win the crowd, you know he's doing what God called him to do. He's not called here to always make people feel good. I had a guy in my church. He left. My mother, when she was alive, would call people. My little church in Ventura. So she called Jeff up and said, Jeff, we haven't seen you in church, you and your wife. We've missed you. He says, well, Florence, that was my mom. I have to be honest with you. When your son is preaching, he doesn't make me feel good about myself. We left from the church. That hurt me. You know, I want the guys to know there's a lot of hurt when you preach the word. And there are people that will react. And that hurt me. But I knew one thing. That I had been faithful to God's word. And that God knew that when I did that, even though I didn't win that man, I had been faithful to what God had So they call this one man, verse 8, to me, this is man should deserve great honor. He's not as famous as Elijah or Elisha. We don't know where they were at the time. And in verse 8, Ahab says, Bring Micaiah! You know what that name means? Who was like God? Who was like Yahweh? Who was like the Lord? Well, how does Micaiah come out? Micaiah. He comes out of a dungeon in shackles. By the way, in those days, they didn't teach prisoners like they do in our country how to sue the government and get lawyers so they can, you know how they do that? Libraries there. No one fed these guys except the family would be willing to bring them food. He would be dirty, in chains, in rags. How long he had been in prison and why he wasn't dead? My only guess is Ahab was afraid somehow because to kill him when he protected him from Jezebel. I have no idea, but there is yet one man in my you. I want to be that man. Not with God's people, but with anyone who would oppose God. I want to be that man. Even though they hate I hate him. Don't tell me what I want to hear. He's not seeker sensitive. He's not king sensitive. This king could have killed him. He was faithful. He only cared about what God had been say about him. So we parade him out there. There is this man out there in chains, in dirty clothes, filthy, smelly. When's the last time he had eaten? Only the Lord would know. Then they parade the false prophets. This one guy, Zedekiah. Zedekiah makes horns. And says, thus says the Lord, he lied. Mm. And he told the king what he wanted to hear. You're going to consume the enemies 
of the northern kingdom. And the Lord will give you success. So Zedekiah got special points with the evil king and his wife. Ah, I want to hear that. Good, good. He got no points. He got no praise of God. He sold short for eternity. Don't sell short for eternity. Verse 12, then the messenger who brought Micaiah whispers in his ear, listen, you idiot. The words of the prophets, wherever these books were, are uniformly favorable. Tell him what he wants to hear. Let your words be like one of them and speak favorably. Compromise your message. Win the king and the crowd. Sell short. I think he was trying to do the guy a favor. And then I love this. Here's what he says in verse 13. Guys, start up. As Yahweh lives, as the Lord lives, what God says. is growing, they're all going nuts in Phoenix. They're all leaving these churches. The pulpits aren't proclaiming what God says. They're proclaiming some high strangeness. Maybe some of you know what's going on. They're fleeing at least God's people that want a faithful message. And they end up not because we're the greatest little church, but because we've determined what God says, I will speak. Do you realize how courageous that would have been? Yeah. Micaiah, who would have risked instant slaughter. He was yet one man. He would stay there. He feared God. Not that king. Oh, that's hard. I'm not the greatest person in the world. I'm a little bit like Don Knotts, where Andy gives you the bullet of Barney, you know. I'm not very brave. But Micaiah, after prison, starvation, in filth and in chains, he fears God. That's when we preach, you fear God. And people. And this guy's cheeky, which is British for he's a little bit. He's a nudge. This is where I like to nudge. I get this from these guys. He literally mocks the false prophets. Go up. Succeed. They've been given in your hands, and he's saying in mock. You want to hear what you want to hear? Go do it. But Ahab knows. And he's being mocked. It's not very wise to mock this king because Jezebel will go and Ahab will go off of his head. And here is what he said. 
He said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep with no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each of them return to his house. You know what he was telling the king? You're a dead man. You want to hear the truth of God from God? You're going to die. God's finished. And then the king said, Did not I tell you that he wouldn't prophesy good to me? Well, you don't deserve any good, Ahab. You're no good. Your time's running out. And then Micaiah said, And this is when the real prophecy, instead of a mock, comes out in 18. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, the host of the heavens standing with him. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab? Now, many people get really problematic with this because all of these spirits are standing before God and God sends out a deceitful spirit. Well, that spirit was fallen anyway. God said, you lie all the time. Go lie to this man. You have my permission. It isn't that God is responsible for it, but he let this creature, whatever this demonic force was, you can lie to him and entice him in verse 20. I will go and be a deceiving spirit. This is Micaiah telling this. You know what he's doing by this? He's telling the prophets of Ahab that you're a bunch of lying deceivers who are being possessed. My prayer, may I have the courage. If it ever comes down to that, to have the cheekiness, the boldness, To be yet one man like Micaiah. He mocked the king. He called the king's prophets liars. I could just see how the preacher may be told by his elders, shh, 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 don't do that. Oh, 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 oh. Do that. <laughs> After that, that evil prophet, Zedekiah, struck Micaiah on the cheek, slapped him, mocked him. How dare you call me a liar? <coughs> and Micaiah says, one day you'll be in the inner room and it'll be over for you too. And then I love this, because you can tell a man of God. Verse 26. Put this man in prison and don't get him hardly any food until I return and then we'll kill him publicly is most likely what was going to happen. And then I love Micaiah said this. This is the confidence you can have in God's word, gentlemen. If you indeed return safely after I have proclaimed the true word of God to you, then the Lord has not spoken by me. In other words, God's men have the certainty of God's word. Verse 28, King of Israel, Jehoshaphat, King of Judah, I would have told him if I was Jehoshaphat, no, I just, <laughs> no, I don't think, I don't think, no, not Jehoshaphat, no. And then I love this in verse 29 to show you how naive Jehoshaphat was. Here's what Ahab says. Ahab, the king of Israel, in verse 29 says to Jehoshaphat, tell you what, let me disguise myself. I'm going to just look like an average person, but you go in full regalia. <laughs> and the guy says, okay. 
<laughs> We're not dealing with someone that's too swift here. So when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they thought he was the king of Israel. The king of Israel had set up Jehoshaphat, so if anybody's going to die, it's going to be Jehoshaphat, not Ahab. The guy is. Yeah. Why would you align yourself with him? But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him and diverted him from being killed. And sure enough, verse 33, a certain man drew his bow at random. No, it wasn't random, but struck the king of Israel in fulfillment of Micaiah's word that if I am a man of God, you will not return alive. Chapter 19, the first three verses summarize this, and it's a warning to every preacher. Number one, every preacher, you are in charge of God's people. I want the people of God at Sam's church to know you are absolutely precious. He has given Sam you to care for you as an under-shepherd. You are so valuable. The preacher needs to know the value of this congregation. God has gifted him with the immense value of the people of this assembly. And there's a warning. Because Jehu met Jehoshaphat. Where is Micaiah? He's back in prison starving. You don't know what happened to him. Jehu said to him, Joshua, you're an idiot. It's my Hebrew translation. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? And here's why you can't, guys. Because you'll bring wrath on yourself. You don't have to be mean from the pulpit. You don't have to be like me, a nudge that upsets people. Last time I was teaching Hebrews, one guy got all upset. I just what a natural talent to upset people. You don't have to do that. Kids have been in class with me and have seen. I'm stupid too. But here is the warning, gentlemen. You compromise God's word, say it with love, seasoned with salt, compassion, mercy, like your Savior Jesus. But look what it says. If you help the wicked, if you wander from God's word, you bring wrath upon yourself. But there is some good in you. Here is the warning, gentlemen. Here is the warning. My prayer for Sam, and he is my friend, not a student, he is my friend. When he gets up in the pulpit, I often will say my, this to myself, silently, quietly, Lord, help me, I need your Holy Spirit, that I will be yet one man. And I will honor your word. 
once more from the praises of men, and I will seek the eternal value of what God says. Remember what God will say? Jesus said this. Well done. You good. You faithful servant. Don't ever wander from being young.